You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. What does Iran and India have in common? Cuba too, by the way. They have scarce resources in the way of physicians, nurses, and other resources. And their healthcare is sort of forced into a three-tier system that rations care extremely efficiently because they have to. Regional hospitals are capable of treating 100,000 plus in these countries. Community centers will treat in narrower conditions in tens of thousands. And the neighborhood clinics are intimate with hundreds that they need to talk to pretty much on a monthly, if not daily basis. So they know the children's names. They know when pregnancy is anticipated. Care is 100% free, but intimacy is 100% too. So the problem is you got to wait and the resources are scarce and they don't have the same equipment and amazing technology we have in America. So there's a two-tier system. You can get the best care possible in those countries. You got to pay more, you got to pay a lot more, but you'll get immediate care and you'll get premier physicians, premier MRIs, et cetera. You can skip the lines. So imagine your neighborhood nurse knows your health intimately, your kids, your spouse, they have as much time as you need diet, exercise, cooking, it's all covered. But if you have a baby, special test or say an urgent care visit is needed, you step up to the community clinic level. It's required, requiring a specialist at the regional hospital. Every citizen has this three-tiered system in these countries. What do we have here? Well, we're waiting for Superman or Captain Marvel to fly in and save healthcare because technology doesn't seem to have the answers for us. This is the first time Silicon Valley or Boston hasn't come in and fixed healthcare and solved all our problems. So today, we're excited to introduce you to Robin Farman Farmayan, best-selling author, dynamic speaker in 12 different countries, hundreds of platforms. She's a thought leader. She's a futurist. No one has a clear window into the tech world. And I just want to read you some of her bio because it's pretty impressive. If you're from, familiar with the um, first book that she wrote, The Patient is CEO, How Technology Empowers the Healthcare Consumer, that's what we're going to be talking about today. She has another one, future number one bestseller coming out called Thought Leadership, the formulaic approach, but she's um, been working with entrepreneurs and executives for a long time. And her primary focus has been really to deal with countries that are going to be in these uh, disruptive technologies that are going to literally serve hundreds of millions of patients that are gonna have a gigantic impact. Um, she's been a VP at Singularity University, if you're familiar with that. Uh, she's been a number one bestseller. She's part of the Exponential Medicine Conference in a very big way, right in the center of it. And so if there is a technology, future Superman or Captain Marvel, Robin's going to know about it. So Robin, what can we expect technology to do to solve some of these problems that a day-to-day -day primary care physician or specialist deals with every day? 
Well, there are a lot of things coming on the market now, especially in the world of point of care diagnostics. And so with telemedicine, especially getting a, a huge stronghold, and that is going to be increasing over the next few years dramatically, we are going to, you're going to start to see that you're going to be treating a lot more patients remotely. And for that, you need clinical grade data because, you know, something like, something like a patient trying to take their own data a lot of the time, it's not going to be reputable. But fortunately, we now have FDA cleared devices that the patient can use to collect data that you can make a decision on. So what influenced you to start working and studying this area in healthcare? Well, first of all, I grew up in this. My mom was a pediatrician and my dad is an IP attorney specializing in uh, biotech and med device, although he does everything else, but he's an MIT scientist turned IP attorney. So I did grow up with this, but it, was, it actually was the fact that I am a chronic disease patient myself. At 16, I was misdiagnosed with ulcerative colitis. At 19, I lost my large intestine and had a total colectomy with J-Pouch. By 26, I was on 80 milligrams a day of methadone for pain management because they I thought I was cured because a total colectomy is a cure for UC. And it turns out I have Crohn's disease. So I went undiagnosed with that for 13 years and untreated for it for about 10, except for with opioids. So finally at 29, I took control, I'm sorry, at 26, I took control of my healthcare and got off all the opioids, ended up finding a new team of doctors, one that diagnosed me correctly with Crohn's and I was on Remicade and went into remission overnight at that point. Well, I just got bit by a dog, so there. <laughs> True, and I can cross it off my bucket <laughs> there list. There you go. <laughs> All right, so technology is not going to be Superman right away. Is there something coming, let's just say from the uh, patient's perspective, that's going to make life easier on patients? I, I imagine a future someday where you have this like Jarvis-type doctor talking to you who has perfect information. He's got a little earbud, and he's like Tony Stark of medicine. And he's got uh, IBM Watson whispering in his ear, no, no, you just diagnosed that wrong, or maybe you should run this test instead of that one, and uh, you're not asking the right questions. Is that, is that in our future, in our lifetime? Well, that's actually now. We are seeing that. So in the past two to two and a half years, we've seen over 15 different FDA approved AI software that usually most of them exist just to augment the healthcare professional. And so it takes uh, complicated numbers like insulin optimization, which is a very difficult number, or uh, most of them actually are around imaging analysis because that's what AI is best at, which is pattern analysis. So x-rays, CAT scans, MRIs, echocardiograms, and these all help the specialist look at these films and come up with a diagnosis or come up with a plan of action, right? And except for in one case, there is one AI-approved uh, diagnostic out there that does not require a healthcare professional to interpret the results. And that one is from a company called IDX, and it's for diabetic retinopathy. Fantastic. So you can look into your phone and it can make a diagnosis right there on the spot. Is that where we're headed? Uh, that is where we're heading. We don't have that yet, especially like with things like diabetic retinopathy actually require a uh, complicated hardware exam. And so the iPhone can't do that. But we are headed to that because like, for instance, Omron, they got approval for their $500 blood pressure monitor cuff uh, watch. And so this is clinical grade. And so now you can have your patients taking their blood pressure around their wrist just automatically, you know, 10 times a day if they want. That's pretty exciting stuff. Mm -hmm. So so the patient is going to eventually, not eventually, is currently seeing 
the benefit of AI in their day-to-day -day life if they're in the right hospital or with the right doctor. And how soon is it going to be widespread where most doctors are having to do this? Uh, I would say over the next couple of years. And the reason is not the technology, because the technology is there. We, we have, you know, the Apple iWatch is doing the single, single lead EKG. There is a shirt from a company called HealthWatch that does an ICU grade 12 lead EKG monitoring shirt. And so these, these technologies are here, they exist, there are people wearing them. What is going to make the difference are the rules and regulations, especially around reimbursement, right? Because, yeah, so CMS last year, they uh, unbundled one code out of their telemedicine codes that allowed for remote patient monitoring that would get a uh, PCP about $720 back a year reimbursed just for monitoring your patient remotely, whether that's their Fitbit data, their Apple iWatch data, their Dexcom continuous glucose monitoring data, or what have you. Now this year, 2019, there are three new codes just for remote patient monitoring. One's around setting, and setting it up and educating the patient. One is around actually doing the monitoring, which you can have software do for you. So you can pay $10 a year to something like Doctella, which was acquired by Massimo, and it will do the monitoring for you and only alert you if there's a problem. And then there's a third code around any communication that is a result of remote patient monitoring. It's incredible. Well, you know, the, the sad thing is in allergy, we were being penalized if we talked to the patient face-to-face uh, -face or by telephone. Those, law, those codes just changed for us. So we've, we've got a brand, yeah. brand new wide opening to treat the patients with uh, more aftercare than we ever did before. Yep, exactly. And getting paid the paid, you know, well for it. This, the telemedicine eventually will be probably billed at the same rate as in person. You know, it makes so much sense because if I live in a urban crime-ridden area, if I live in a rural area, there's there's 70 counties that are considered uh, under doctored in Texas out of 240 counties. There's 33 of those that have zero doctors, none in those counties. Wow. And I'm not, I'm not sure Texas is alone. I'm going to put Texas in the same boat as most states that uh, are not heavily populated. So what we have is a lot of space here and not a lot of physicians. So we rank at 45th in physicians per capita. And we got MD Anderson. We're in Hospital City. We're in Medical City here in Houston, Texas. But you forget maybe 100 miles north in Livingston, Texas, there's not an allergist for 200 miles, or 150 miles, for 100 miles. And now I'm not just talking about specialists, I'm talking about primary care physicians that don't exist. So what's going on with telemedicine is you can now treat those folks. I was at a doctor's house and she has probably the most successful practice in Arizona. You know her husband, we both met him. And her, she puts on a white coat in the end of the day, she's already seen 25, 30 patients. She's pretty tired. And she puts on a white coat and she does about 10 telemedicine visits with a white coat on and I think her pajamas underneath. And her income is up substantially because of that uh, extra work, but she also feels like she's doing the patients right by taking care of some of them are driving, some of them are shopping, some of them are waiting in line. I mean, they can basically get a, a doctor visit just about anywhere. And so why not bring care and convenience at the same time, right? Oh, absolutely. And I would tell you as a chronic disease patient myself, and, and as you know, I, I work in biotech and, and med device, uh, I don't want to go to a doctor's office because going to a clinic means I'm exposed to infectious disease and I am you know, immunosuppressed. And so to me, these are danger zones. Two questions on the statistics there. These 
the number of people that do not actually require doctor visits, 70% of all the 16 to 17, I'm sorry, the 220 million patient visits that happen that CMS records every year, 70% are unnecessary in-office visits. They can all be handled by telemedicine, number one. Number two, 1% of all people that have telemedicine offerings in their plan use them. So yeah, is it gonna grow? It doesn't have to grow by much to double and it doesn't have to grow much by to double again and again. So if it's gonna be an exponential growth, uh, telemedicine's gonna be it. My employees virtually all use telemedicine because I don't want them, A, going to work sick or number two, not going home when they're not well or number three, you know, showing up and they don't feel great and they're just not really there. I mean, I'm paying them for wasted time. I would rather they call a doctor or if they're worried about their kid having to take them to a doctor, call their kid situation in. They've had pink eye three times before. This, you know, this ear infection's happened a million times and just get it handled over the phone and not sweat it. You know, just get your life handled with a doctor by telephone and they love it. Oh, absolutely. And and this is a technology that is going to dramatically explode. And, and telemedicine actually has been around for decades, right? But the reason it is suddenly going to explode, again, goes back to those reimbursement policies and the rules and regulations. When you look at the VA, the Veterans Affairs Office, last year, it hasn't even been six months yet, as far as I know, uh, last year, the boundaries between states came down. They were erased, which means you no longer need to be licensed in the state you're practicing medicine when it, when, with regards to telemedicine if you are an, a VA doctor and you have a VA patient. That makes so much sense for the, rest, the larger care, doesn't it? I mean, it just would solve so many problems. And I, I always thought that was ridiculous as a, a non-physician. I'm like, why does, does, do they have to actually go and take the boards again, right? Like, I, that doesn't even make sense. Like, when you get an MD, why are you subject to the different state laws? Patients, we do not understand this. And especially when it comes to things like telemedicine. I have to get on a plane to go see a doctor at Mayo, right? No, I want to be able to do that from, you know, my apartment in Palo Alto. So what do you think? The future, the, the future Robins of the world that have these chronic conditions, do you think you guys are not going to slip through the cracks as much because they can wear a shirt or a ring or a watch or some other device that'll, or use a telephone for God's sakes that allows them to quickly get to the bottom? Or maybe Watson is listening in and, and telling the doctor, no, no, it's got to be Crohn's. I mean, she's talking Crohn's right now. Is there, do you think the future Robins are not going to suffer needlessly for, oh, what, decades almost? Yep. Oh, absolutely. And so it's not even going to need the patient to actually take a huge role like you would think right right now. But in the next couple of years with things like voice technology, we are going to see an explosion. Right now we're seeing hospital systems starting to use voice technology in the patient rooms. Cedars-Sinai, Northwest, they are both uh, prototyping them this year, like Amazon Alexa type things. We are seeing it being used at Mayo, at Boston Children's Hospital, and these are just the beginning. And so by, uh, by 2022, it's expected that about 55% of U.S. households are going to have at least one smart speaker in their house. And we are going to start using those smart speakers for healthcare. And over those smart speakers, company, uh, sorry, hospitals like Mayo are actually working on voice diagnostics. And so they actually have, have found a relationship between voice and uh, CAD. I found a list of all of the innovations Mayo's made in healthcare. It's 134 items long, and it's, it covers everything you can possibly imagine. I mean, Mayo is at the forefront of everything. A, a good friend of mine just got in with Mayo, and it's like I said, you just got the bell cow of all bell cows to start your company. So yeah, I love hearing when Mayo's behind something. 
what are you most excited about for the next generation? What is what is life going to be like in five or ten years for the people in their twenties now that are going to be raising kids and a family that they don't have today? We are all going to be censored up. Give us 10 years and we're going to have subcutaneous uh, sensors. We're gonna have sensors in our clothing that are gonna be able to give us at least early detection, if not clinical grade detection of things so that we catch things considerably earlier because we all know stage one and stage zero medicine, we have our best shot in any type of disease or disorder. But you're not talking about, I have to go to the vet and get a chip inserted in my shoulder, right? You're talking about different kinds of sensors. Well, uh, I mean, uh, essentially, yes. Like in Sweden right now, they are chipping you, I think, right by your thumb. I think that's where they put it in. And uh, there's a lot of people in Sweden that have been chipped. And this is subcutaneous. And this is uh, for finances or, or kind of like uh, ID type chipping. But take that one step further with things like Dexcom and Abbott's Freestyle Libra on the market, right? We're already doing CGMs using interstitial body fluid. So take that one step further. Why are we are actually, there's a company that has one that, that you can actually just put in. It's a chip that does CGM, continuous glucose monitoring. So I'm, I'm, I'm someday going to have a chip in my thumb that's going to allow me to pay my parking meter? Oh, yeah, that exists. And they're doing it in other countries. <laughs> what should, if you had a billboard, that billboard say about the future of healthcare and how said technology may, may just be a Superman for it? It's continuous, constant in-home monitoring of, of different, of different uh, numbers, whether it's your pulse oximeter or your blood pressure or your EKG. And so that you have constant alerts on your body, essentially like a check engine light. So where would I go, Robin, to read more about, learn more about how I should be a better consumer, better patient? Well, first of all, all my writing. <laughs> uh, but then there are other, there are lots of different options. You can follow things like Mayo or MIT Media Lab or uh, Partners Healthcare. They're all putting out a huge amount of content on some of the cutting edge things that they are doing. I gotta tell you, I, I handed your book, uh, The Patient as CEO, How Technology Empowers Healthcare Consumer. I gave that out to certainly dozens, maybe more uh, people and mostly doctors and they certainly approved appreciated it um but that book is out of date the second you print it i mean that everything is moving so fast in technology it's almost hard to write a book that's not edited every couple of months exactly so my goal actually with that one i'm going to do a refresher on it with a similar type content but all the the new numbers uh next year i'm going to start writing that but the basic concepts are all still the same because while technology is moving very very quickly the basic underlying foundation of, of what's possible and what's being done is still the same. If I'm a physician, now you told me how a consumer can uh, read all about Robin, Robin's books, but if I wanted to be a physician uh, keeping up to date on what's going on technology-wise, where do I find the short read? I don't have a lot of time. That's why I would say act like a patient. Right. And, and, and look at these same types of things. You don't have to go on what the white papers are doing, because a lot of the time, if you're trying to read stuff about white papers, it may never make it to, you know, market. But, you know, if it's coming out of Mayo and they're already putting it in patient rooms or they're, it's Boston Children's Hospital and they are already prototyping uh, voice, you know, for surgeons and things like that. Following what they are doing is really, really educational. So 
I know you're smart enough to answer all these tough questions with really intelligent answers, but I also know you're really smart because it's easier to find you than having to spell your last name. <laughs> How does somebody find Robin Farman for Mayan online or through your website? What's the best way to find you? So yeah, I am the only Robin Farman Farmian in the entire world. And anytime you you Google something like patient as CEO, it will come up with me. But my website is robinff.com and I'm on all the major social media channels, like you know, for our age, like LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I am not on TikTok. That <laughs> I'm not Generation Z. And uh, otherwise, yeah, just reach out anytime. I'd love to hear from people. You're telling me that Generation Z disrespects Twitter now because it's not cool enough. So now they're on TikTok. I don't even think Gen Z ever even knew Twitter existed. That's more professionals. <laughs> it's like it's people that are out of college or on Twitter, I think. But yeah, TikTok, I just learned about that because my 11 year old nephew's on it. Otherwise, uh, some of my age, I probably wouldn't have heard about it. <laughs> Robin, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to our next interview with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.